you have your Bibles, please be turning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 26 and verse 3. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat rack in front of you or near you, around you. There should be one. Look around until someone hands you a Bible and uh, puts that in your hand. Then you can turn to page 944. Uh, we're going to continue our, our study of perfect peace. I kind of did a combo message with a, uh, I kind of started off uh, back in uh, February uh, talking about perfect peace, vision update, after doing a, an update on the pro-life uh, and the sanctity of life weekend. So I kind of kind of threw two messages together. You got two in one day. That was cool. So uh, today I'm going to pick that up and we're going to look at another piece of that. It's uh, two out of three parts that I'm going to be having on this subject. But uh, this morning, uh, we're glad that you're joining us. If you're with us online, we're glad that you're with us. If you're looking for our resources, go to hbfcast.org under listen. And under today's sermon, you'll have the outlines there for yourselves. You can also, if you if you text 94,000 as a guest, we will. if you're a first-time guest and you're joining us, we'd love to send you uh, a welcome bag and a gift and a, th- and a thank you for joining us today. So, and uh, even if, and if you, I know some people are shy even here. Uh, if you're like, I didn't want to raise my hand, we really are glad that you're here. Uh, if you didn't get a guest bag, uh, go to the connections counter. We have a gift for you. And, uh, and also make sure uh, to let us know if you could uh, tear off a piece of that, uh, that uh, little bulletin that we gave you as you came through the door and drop that in. Say, hey, this is who I am. I was here. We'd appreciate that so we get to know you. And so this morning we're going to be talking about peace and uh, peace in our time. That's really not what we're going to talk about, but have you guys heard of the phrase peace in our time? Maybe some of you that are a little older know that phrase. That was a phrase that is now infamous, made by Neville, Neville Chamberlain, September 30th of 1938. Uh, it was He was returning from Munich, Germany after signing the Munich Agreement with Adolf Hitler. Uh, he, he came home uh, to the British uh, people, and uh, he had... Uh, joined with France and, and Italy. At that time, Italy was a kingdom, of course, under the fascist dictator of Mussolini. And they had an agreement to give land for peace. And the European power brokers of uh, Europe there gave uh, Hitler, Czechoslovakia, for a guaranteed peace. How long did that peace last? Well, less than a year. Right? It didn't last very long because World War II was hot and heavy. And uh, after they gave up Czechoslovakia, it wasn't long before Hitler invaded Poland, and World War II was underway. So Neville Chamberlain, uh, he wanted peace, but uh, he could not have peace in his time because he was not prepared to go to war. You see, you won't have peace if you're not prepared to go to war against sin. And as Christians, Jesus is our peace, but he commands us to be prepared for war. It's interesting, as when you look in Ephesians chapter 6 and you look at the, the armor of God, the gospel of peace is what's on our feet, isn't it? Right? And so uh, if we're going to be able to deliver peace, we're going to have to make sure that we're prepared for war. And that was the problem with Neville Chamberlain. He really wasn't wanting to go to war. And he, he definitely, you cannot make peace with the enemies of God. Uh, you have to, you have to, they have to make peace with God. That's how that works. And, uh, and so just like if you're really born again, that's how you got saved. It was by surrendering. To the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to surrender your will to his understanding that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not, you can't, you can't get to heaven on your terms. We get to heaven on his terms. That's how we get saved. It's by grace through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our mission here at HBF is to, uh, to, is to equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God uh, for the glory of God by the grace of God. And the last thing that the adversary wants are Christians and churches prepared for spiritual battle? So when we, we talk about giving vision, man, Shane Watts, it's so good to see you sitting there, brother. I just, I didn't get a chance to say it. Shane Watts is back in the house. Man, it's good to have you back home, bro. And so we appreciate you. And so, uh, and so I've got off track. But anyway, uh, uh, I just, it's when, when we are in a situation where we are actually engaging and equipping the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish God's mission, that puts us at odds with the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And so uh, we are in a situation where we must be prepared for war if we actually want to deliver the peace, because that's what we're here to do, is to uh, shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and go forth and give it to every soul that will receive it. So with each declaration of peace, peace with each soul that, that is one to Christ, we strike a mortal blow to the kingdom of darkness. 
and expand the kingdom of God. And that is exactly what God would have us to do, one soul at a time. So what is so threatening to Satan is the power of peace. But not just the power of peace in some generic way, not some utopian peace that you know the UN's trying to bring in, uh, which isn't going to happen. But what's really, what's really scares Satan is whenever we get personal peace. And we talked about being at peace a couple weeks ago, if you were here for that message. And that is, man, that makes him shudder. Uh, you're not a threat to the devil as long as, you're, as long as you're lost. But once you get saved and Christ is your Lord, you become a serious threat. And, and some people, as Christians, we don't actually recognize that. They're like, man, why is all this going on in my life? Why is this going wrong? And why is that going wrong? I became a Christian. Isn't everything smooth now? You just now became a threat to the devil. You have an adversary, and which is why you're going to need some of the things I'm going to talk about this morning in relation to the local church, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. So, uh, so we need to make sure that we understand what we're getting into. The adversary has lost, and it's our job to spread the news to all who are taken captive by him at his will. And the conditions of peace have been set forth in the gospel. The sacrifice for sin has been made, and now we simply go forth to proclaim that Jesus Christ, <clears throat> as we learned a couple weeks ago, is the person of peace. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So a couple weeks ago, we started off on this sermon series talking about our theme of perfect peace for 2022. And I was in Isaiah chapter 26, which is where I've had you turn. So if you have your Bible, let's look at that passage. We're going to ask the Lord to bless our time in his word uh, and, and to be glorified through this teaching and uh, exhortation. And then we're going we're gonna to bust into this message. So Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, I'm going to go ahead and take all four verses, but I'm going to emphasize verse 3, uh, starting in verse 1. Isaiah the prophet says, in, in that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. Right? It's a praise song. We have, we have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates, <clears throat> that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. And then verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that in the context of this passage of perfect peace, Lord, it does start uh, and end with you. And our connectivity to that starts in the mind, Lord, as, as we meditate upon your power, your strength, your ability to keep what you've promised. And Lord, you have promised to keep our souls. Our souls are sealed till the day of redemption. You've promised uh, that, that we have, you've told us we have the mind of Christ. Lord, we have the, the words of God preserved for us perfectly. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful for what you have blessed us with. We pray now that we would be at perfect peace, not only with who you are, but who we are in you, so that we can deliver the gospel of peace the way you've called us to. We are so thankful for this, uh, this time that we have to set apart, to sanctify our hearts and our minds today. Lord, may it encourage us, inspire us, may it move us, may it edify us and build us in our faith so that you can be glorified in time and it will be manifest in eternity. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning as we look at this passage and we meditate upon this concept of perfect peace, the context of the passage, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, is that Isaiah was, making, <clears throat> uh, was not making a statement like Neville Chamberlain. It's backed up with the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ's righteous rule and reign. Even in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, uh, he is prophesying about a day when Jesus will literally return, literally take over Jerusalem, literally uh, won't need to be walls because Jesus is there. I mean, he will set up, uh, he will set up, there will be walls, but he will set up his kingdom and uh, it will be incredible. And that kingdom for us has come in a spiritual way through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The King Jesus lives in us. So it's impossible to be at peace if we're not resting in the provision of the Prince of Peace. Neville, Neville Chamberlain, uh, putting Czechoslovakians on the altar for peace, was not enough for Hitler's wicked ambitions. You just can't do a deal with the devil. God gave something much better, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and Satan has no intention of honoring God's sacrifice. Eventually, Jesus will have to return to take back the planet, along with all those who have trusted and rested in him. So our vision for 2022 is very simple. It's our seventh year of our seventh year planning cycle, and this year of rest, I pray that each of us will be at peace so we can deliver the gospel of peace. And next week, we'll talk about how we prepare for the coming of the Prince of Peace. So in, in, the, in a world that seems to be going mad, God has called us to peace. 
right? And boy, what a time to be at peace with God and to deliver the gospel of peace because this is a time when so many people need peace, especially as we near the coming of the Lord Jesus. So perfect peace. Uh, perfect peace is what we what we need to have. Now, the thing that we saw last week, I'm just going to review with you, and I put it up on one slide so you can see it, um, and it's on your paper there just as a refresher. So where we've already been, maybe you weren't with us back in February, uh, I think it was the 22nd or something like that. Um, when If you weren't here, we covered the need to be at peace, and we saw that we understand that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, establishes that, that we, we understood that Jesus is the the person of peace, Ephesians 2.14 says, for he is our peace. So when it comes to peace on earth, just like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the embodiment of truth. He is the essence of truth. Uh, he is truth. Uh, so he is also peace, Ephesians 2.14. And he is our peace that we possess. Uh, this world only offers the illusion of peace. We saw that in John 14.27 as Jesus noted that there is a peace that he offers and then there's a peace that the world offers, right? So there's two different types of peace. There's a true peace that comes from Christ and then there's a false peace. And as the, as the days grow uh, colder, you're going to continue to see more of a need for peace. So we're, when, let me just put this in context for you and I'm getting ready to set me up on my second point here. Uh, we live in a, in a time where peace is a commodity, right? And so uh, as, as people, as nations, can be manipulated. They're so, we're all so tied to technology. Uh, it's going to be a lot easier to manipulate people into looking for solutions for peace. And so this is the deal, beloved. It's no secret. We've got the real thing. And, you know, it's not Coca-Cola. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and then the world, the flesh, and the devil, they have a false peace. And, uh, and they're going to pitch that. And eventually, it's going to get so chaotic uh, that there's a man of sin that's going to arise, and he's going to offer the, the solution. Uh, you know, you do remember when Hitler arose, that's what he had. He had, a, he had a final solution. That's what he called it. It didn't work out so good if you were Jewish uh, or you were somebody that he was blitzkrieging on. And so his final solution was wicked. And so will be the final solution of the man, that, not the Lord Jesus Christ, but the, the Antichrist that's coming. And he's going to come initially in peace. And so what we're doing and what I'm doing is we're talking about resting. We're not just talking about laying back and, you know, giving the peace sign, saying, chill. What we're saying is that before Jesus comes, we need to be offering the true peace, the peace of Christ, because people are going to continuously be looking for peace. You think that you're looking for peace now? Let's just fast forward this tape a few more years. You're like, man, I can't wait till this is over. Well, what if it's never over? What if this just gets ratcheting up and ratcheting up and ratcheting up? Are you going to be at peace? Because you need to be. You have to be. Not for your sake, but for the sake of everybody else that needs to receive the gospel, the true peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to ruin anybody's day, but our peace must be centered in who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so we saw that we understand that God's peace is always under assault, right? So we shouldn't be surprised that, well, you know what? Then our peace is going to be under assault as well because Jesus Christ is the epitome of peace. He is peace, not just the epitome. He is our peace. So uh, he's in uh, Psalms 120, verse 7, the Bible says, For I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war, right? And so isn't it interesting how the, the very person of peace becomes the object of war? When Jesus came to his own, his own received him not. And he literally conspired to put him to death. Then after he ascended, then the same thing happened to who? His witnesses. And that's why it's important that when you carry the gospel of peace, you understand the cost. Right? There's a reason that we are to die daily, because to fulfill our mission, uh, we need to make sure that we are prepared to deliver the peace uh, so that God is glorified. And it's helpful to recognize those phases of peace. In our life, there's cycles, right? And I, I mentioned those a few weeks ago. The, there's the peace and the calm before a storm, right? There's always that, in the Midwest, we know that before a tornado. It's like, all of a sudden, things kind of get calm, and then here's the choo-choo train, man, and everything gets torn up, right? There's a calm before the storm. But then there's, a, there's that peace that you get in the storm. Uh, and in the middle of the storm, Jesus says, peace be still. We talked about that. And in the midst of everything, we can always trust in Jesus. Why? Because he's taking us somewhere. We know where our destination is. He was taking his disciples across Galilee. He says, hey, we're going to get there. A storm comes up. They're freaking out. They think they're going to die. And Jesus wakes up, and he says, peace be still right? And everything's calm. He's like, guys, you don't have enough faith. 
Faith in what? For what I said before we left, right? So we sometimes when the storm is raging, and I know in our lives, even right now today, I'm sure in this group of people, there are some people whose lives the storm is raging, right? And maybe it's a medical condition. Maybe it's, it's an emotional situation. Maybe it's a physical situation. Maybe it's a, a it could be anything. And uh, the reality is at those times, you got to remember what God said, and he has taken you somewhere, right? And, and, and it's so easy to forget, isn't it, in the midst of a storm? the promise of peace that God gives us. And then the third time, the, the, the third kind of what I call cycle of peace is results when the storm's over because the victory has been won, right? At the end of the battle, it's all over and then there's peace. The whole Bible concludes with that in the book of, in the millennium, there'll be a thousand year peace. But just remember that peace is challenged at the end, right? Because the devil won't quit until he is absolutely put down, right? And so so there you go. You got those three cycles, right? There's this, this kind of cycles through. And every one of those, we should obtain peace, which is where we left off last time. So no matter what phase of spiritual world that we are in, we need to be at peace. Now, in the Bible, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then he says this, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so uh, the reality is, is that, that's a, that, that, is, that is right in the middle of our wheelhouse as New Testament Christians, Philippians chapter 4. God promises us that he can give us and he will give us the, the peace that passes understanding, but we have to have our cares prioritized. And I, and that, I love that passage, be careful for nothing. Uh, the new translations change it, but I like it. it is, what it means is not to be over, over. Uh, don't don't misplace your priorities in what you care for, right? The things of this earth are temporal; they're going to go away. If we get too tied down to it, we're going our our emotions are going to shift, and it's going to affect our spiritual walk, right? So we have to be less and less inclined to the things of this world, and more and more inclined to the things above. And old school, you know, preaching. That would be called sanctification. That would be called holiness, right? And really being more like Christ. And so I want to give you the, some, some motivation, hopefully, this morning for us to do that as we wrap up uh, this particular point. Or, or not, I don't quite wrap it up today. I almost wrap it up. I want to talk here about being at peace so you can deliver the gospel of peace. Being at peace so you can deliver the gospel of peace. And see, we're no good at delivering peace to others if we don't have it ourselves. So point A here on your outline, destroy disobedience in our personal lives. That's, that's got to be a priority uh, for me and for you. And I was going through this preparing it, and I was convicted. I'm like, Lord, I, I want more results, but how much do I want more results? What is it that I'm holding on to that I, I don't want to let go of so you can have, have your way in me, through me, in us, through us? If there's anything, Lord, okay? So I want to get rid of that. So point one here, if you don't deal with sin, uh, uh, if I don't deal with sin, right, not just you, if we don't deal with sin, uh, we will not be fit to deliver the gospel of peace, right? If we don't deal with sin, we will not be fit to deliver the gospel of peace. What soldier goes to war without first going to boot camp and then, uh, you know, specialty school, if he's going to use weapons or do whatever his specialty is? Every soldier has to do that. Why? They have to be prepared. They have to be fit for the battle. And then once you go through all of that and you're in, you know, your regular, uh, <clears throat> I don't know the right word. What word am I looking for? I don't know. I know we got military guys here. I'm going to butcher it and show how ignorant I am. Once you're just regular service, that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, active duty. That's there. That's what I'm looking for. Once you're just active duty and you're doing your thing, you still have to do PT every day uh, or you're supposed to. You're supposed to keep up on your physical training. Why? Because you're supposed to be ready. Right? You're supposed to always be ready, like a Boy Scout. You know, be ready. That's the motto, right? You've got to be ready to go. And, uh, and so you need to maintain that fitness. Well, as Christians, how do we do that? It's called discipline. Like, you know, one of the reasons I don't like to exercise is because I don't like to exercise. I don't like to push my body. It takes discipline. Like, I'm on this push-up regiment now. And uh, you know how often I do it? How consistent I am? Not very. So, uh, <laughs> you know... For a while there, it was every day, then it was every other day, and I'm like, oh yeah, a week went by. What is Brian lacking? Discipline, right? Discipline. Uh, just like anything in life, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. Discipline. 
And that's what discipleship is all about, isn't it? It's developing habits and patterns of doing the right thing, the healthy thing, which in this case in HBF, when we talk about equipping the saints of God, that's what we're talking about, developing individual discipline in our relationship with the Word of God in regard to how we care for our souls so that we can also communicate that to other people. That's, that's what we're all about at HBF. We want to stay spiritually fit. Discipline is the root word for discipleship. Jesus came to this earth personally, personally, to die on the cross. Yes, he did come to die on the cross. But we know that the Bible teaches us that he came to train 12 faithful men. One of them fell out, which often happens when you're in the training process. But God replaced him, right? Another one was ready to step up. Matt, Matthias stepped up in the Gospels and filled that 12th spot, right? So he was in the process. He had 12. He had Actually, he had three key men. He had 12 uh, men around that. And then he had at least 70 around that, right? And he was working people to a point of personal consecration, discipline, right? People that could be deployed with the gospel of peace. Interesting to, interesting to think about. It didn't matter who they were, point two. They all had to learn obedience just as Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered, right? Jesus didn't ask his disciples to do anything that he wasn't going and willing to do. Uh, and he did it in spades, I don't know if I should mention spades while I'm preaching, but anyway, uh, I'm not talking about cards. Where did that phrase come from, anyway? That's kind of a crazy phrase. I need to get the etymology on that, but he he really, you guys are pretty serious today. I, I, I can't get even a chuckle out of it. You're making me nervous. <laughs> so, talk about discipline, man. You guys are, you're sober-minded. That's great. That's good. Um. But the reality is, is that it didn't matter who they were. Jesus, he learned obedience. The Bible says in Hebrews 5, 8, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And that's a really important verse, Hebrews 5, 8. It really illuminates our understanding because we know God is true. He's not a liar. He would never do anything wrong. He's sinless. So, so unlike us, Jesus didn't have to learn obedience because of his sinful proclivity to disobey. He learned obedience by placing himself at odds with his holy and loving nature. Love said die. That's what the Father said. Holiness said live, right? He was in a contradiction, right? I don't want anything to do with sin. Father says, yeah, but I'm telling you to die for the world because I love the world. And so he died to his own will by, uh, to be holy and submitted to the Father's will to love the world, thereby learning obedience. And of course, because he was holy and he was the sinless sacrifice, God honored that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice, because he is the only acceptable sacrifice, the only one who kept the law. And so he fulfilled that Passover sacrifice. He is our Passover, as Paul says in the New Testament. And so he fulfilled all the prophecies of that Passover lamb. So we, he would have never been in a position to learn obedience in the concept that we do, uh, if he would not have uh, placed himself in a position to die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He had to put himself at odds with his own nature to, to feel like what it was like to go, oh, this is what obedience is like. Father, I'm sweating. Literally, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops of blood. Uh, if there's any other way, let, man, let this cut pass. But not my will, but thine be done. And he humbled himself and became obedient. Philippians 2 says, to the cross, even to the death of the cross. And now he's exalted at the right hand of the Father. He overcame and he rose again on the third day. He is victorious and he became our peace. And so Peter learned that he could not do what he wanted to do, that he must submit to God's plan for bringing in the kingdom, even if it was not the way Peter envisioned it. Right? Peter had to learn to submit and to put his vision of what he thought God was going to do aside and roll with what God said he was going to do. And God's word trumped Peter's will. And that's the way it is for every disciple. That's what discipleship is all about. right? When I entered discipleship one, I had all kinds of thoughts in my head about God's kingdom, and most of them were wrong. And as I was going through discipleship one, just one truth after another, one truth bomb after the next kept exploding my mind. And most of those explosions were actually incredibly comforting. 
and just edifying and assuring. And every once in a while, you come across one that you're like, God said this, but I don't really want to do that. (laughs) Right? And God's like, well, guess what, Brian? This is what it's all about. You have to learn to do that. You need to do your spiritual push-ups, whether you want to or not, because it's good for you, and it's going to make you ready to give away the gospel the way I need you to give it away. So 1 Peter, you know, um, you know, right off the bat, right, you guys remember this story. I'm going to just walk through this for time's sake. I put the references in your notes so you can look them up later if you want to read this story in case you're new to the, the Bible. <clears throat> but Peter is a main character in the New Testament. He becomes the... the uh, the main disciple, the chief disciple, Peter, James, and John. And uh, yet he was not sinlessly perfect. He had to learn obedience. And so um, after Jesus prayed in the garden, after he sweat drops of blood, after those guys fell asleep, right? he says, okay, guys, come with me. And of course, Judas had betrayed Jesus, and they go out to take him, and the high priest shows up. And man, Peter takes out a sword and chops off the high priest's right ear, the Bible says. And Jesus is like, Peter, slow down, stop, right? He takes the guy's ear, puts it back on his head, and, uh, and is like, Peter, man, settle down. And of course, we know that what was going on with Peter is he was, he's, he's reading his Bible. He's reading the Old Testament. He knows enough scripture to know that Jesus is coming to bring in a kingdom, but it's not coming the way Peter wants it, right? He, he was ready to take up arms and take his sword and, and go to war. And you can find those references there in Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18. You can read those on your own. Then Peter denied the Lord. Right as the as the, the time progressed on, right. So Peter's like, "This isn't going the way I thought." They just took they just took Jesus captive. I mean, he just laid it, laid down. I mean, he's like a lamb, not a lion of the tribe of Judah. Bingo, right? So he hasn't worked all this out, even though he just celebrated the Passover supper with the Lamb of God. And he's just, it's just not going the way he wants it to go. You ever have times in life when things don't go the way you think they should go? Amen. I mean, even things at church, things in the ministry, things in your marriage, things in your family, whatever it may be, and you're disappointed and you're disillusioned. Guess what? The chief dude, Peter, that's where he was at. He was dropping the ball big time. And you know the story, and I put some references there too for that. You can find those in in the... Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18 as well. And so when Jesus said uh, on the cross, right? Of course, you know how it goes. Jesus is, is uh, but he says, you're going to, before the, he told him already, before the cock crow, you're going to betray me. Because Jesus, Peter was all full of himself, like, I'm going to die for you. He had visions of how, you know, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to resurrect, and I'm going to rule. I mean, he had, he had Ezekiel 38 in his head. He was all, all about it, man. He was ready to go to war for Jesus. But when the war wasn't going the way he thought, you know, he was like, wait a minute. And, of course, he starts cussing like a sailor that he was before he met Jesus and trying to get away from his identity with Christ. And, of course, he gets called out, and he denies the Lord. The cock crows, and Jesus looks at him eye to eye. The text says Jesus turns and looks right at Peter. And at that moment, Peter was just smitten in the heart, and he just went out and wept. Why? Because he knew, he's like, man, I am a complete failure. Now, Jude, uh, Peter isn't Judas. He's actually, <laughs> he's the best Jesus had to offer. <laughs> I mean, isn't that something? That's, that's, that's the best. You know, the Bible says that our best state, we're all together, vanity. Beloved, we need Jesus in such a bad way. And not just to get saved, I mean every day. If you think you're going to follow Jesus as a disciple, and offer peace to this world, but you're not going to go through the lessons of him being Lord over your life, you're kidding. I'm kidding. Jesus has to be the man. Not you, him. And he'll make you the man if you acknowledge that he's the man, which is the lessons that Peter had to go through. And so, of course, we understand that's exactly what what happened. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again the third day. And you know what? On the third day, he was Peter was present at the tomb. He ran to the tomb. Now, John outran him, but Peter and John, they run to the tomb upon hearing that Jesus was alive. So he hadn't lost his faith. I mean, he believed. And he runs to the tomb, and of course, they, they're checking into this. And, and you know the story. For time's sake, I'm moving on. We'll catch it up in Easter. Uh, but, uh, but he was present at the tomb, and he, and he ran to confirm Mary's report. Peter was also 
uh, present in the upper room later that evening when Jesus appeared out of thin air. Right? He just pops in the room out of thin air. Boom, here he is. And Peter's in the group. I mean, he was at the first Sunday night service. And, and so the, the first church service there in the upper room. Peter was present there in the upper room and fellowship with Jesus, according to John 20 and verse 19. You know what was going on, by the way? If you look at John chapter 20 and verse 19, I think they'll have it on the screen up there. But he says, notice the text there. It says, then the same day at evening, the day of his resurrection, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, what did he say unto them? Peace be unto you. You know what Jesus brought to his disciples that were living in fear? Peace. You know what they needed? They needed his presence. They needed him. They needed to know that he was with them. And beloved, that's why we gather together on the first day of the week, just like they did. Because this is when we come together and he is with us. He is obviously in us. But there's something supernatural about these meetings, not because of the preacher and not because of the attendance. It's because of Jesus Christ. Now, I will say the preaching of God's word is supernatural. The, the hearing of God's word is supernatural because God is doing a work through all of us. And he needs to bring peace to our hearts. We live in a time where even the disciples of Jesus are living in fear, right? But Bible tells us that we're not to have the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So if we're supposed to have that, how are we going to get it? Oh, fellowship with Jesus. Personal fellowship with Jesus. Collective fellowship with Jesus. Right? So it's your personal time with Jesus Christ in his word. It's also your collective time in the local New Testament church. Right? It's, it's not just saying, oh, I went to the Christian concert and I felt good about it. Thumbs up. Light the Bic lighter or whatever. No, you turn on the iPhone now. Nobody has lighters. Turn on the iPhone now, right? And you flash the iPhone. Okay, that's great. That felt good. But it's not supernatural like the, the God-ordained institution of the local New Testament church. God has a plan for his church. And he has a plan for the people of his church. And it includes being at peace. So Peter was present uh, at that, and he was at peace with Jesus. And this is interesting. And actually, this is something that kind of was new to me as I was studying this out, as I was meditating on this thing. Uh, Jesus, Peter was, was at peace with Jesus. We just had the Lord's Supper last week. I mean, I, this is the best weekend in the world to preach this because we just celebrated the Lord's Supper. Now, I mean, he was good with Jesus, and Jesus was good with him. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, uh, this is the first night, and Peter's there. In spite of everything that happened uh, three days earlier, Jesus is, or, uh, Peter's present. He's in fellowship, uh, just like us. We're all here today, and I guarantee you, none of us batted a 1,000 this week. So kudos to y'all, and kudos to me. We all came. We took the Lord's Supper. We failed this week somewhere along the way. We said 1 John 1, 9, and we came back to church on Sunday. Amen? Amen. That is the God's honest truth. We're struggling with this carcass, but you're here. Amen. And that's where it starts. You know what that's called? It's called discipline. Now, if you've left out 1 John 1, 9, you need to go back and get that straight. Get that right. And I'm going to tell you why here in just a minute. So Peter was present at the peace with Je- and at peace with Jesus, but there were still consequences to his disobedience. It hadn't quite been all sorted out yet. Now, what was the issue here? Well, <clears throat> I'm fixing to tell you, so I'm glad you asked. Before he could be deployed to preach the gospel of Jesus, we, had another, we have a whole other little segment of his life in John chapter 21 that we got to deal with. In John chapter 21, turn back over to John 21, because I didn't put these in the, on the screen for, uh, for a lot of reasons, but John chapter 21 <clears throat> And this is probably familiar to most of us, uh, but if it isn't, this is go home later and read all this in its entirety. It'll help you understand what we're talking about. Now, he says, uh, so we've gone past, we're over a week out <clears throat> from, um, from the time in which Jesus appeared to his disciples in the upper room, and then the next week we know Thomas was there, and so on and so forth. Now, after these things, so after all that happened, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. 
Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. Notice he's an influencer because they say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Now let's just pause right there. You know, point four. Peter was at peace, but he wasn't productive. Right? He'd been with Jesus at each service. He'd seen Jesus. He'd been with Jesus. He was walking with Jesus. But there was something missing. Right? He wasn't being productive. He'd been fishing all night. He'd been t- he took out a, a crew with him to go fishing. He was expecting to catch so many fish that he needed other men to help him. And there were other men counting on Peter to deliver because that's why they went. They expected him to catch some fish. And so John's with them. Peter's out there. They're all out fishing. And of course, there's no product. Now, we know from the Bible, Peter was a, obviously a pretty good commercial fisherman. That's what he did. That's what he did before he met Jesus. That's what he did as he's being discipled by Jesus. The problem was that's not who he was any longer. God had other plans for him. He was having an identity crisis, whether he knew it or not. He obviously didn't know it because he defaulted to what he'd always done. And beloved, that's where we get into trouble, when we default to what we've always done. Because God is calling us to something greater. He's calling us to be like him. Not to be like who we were, but to be like who he wants us to be. And that, that can be a little uncomfortable at times. So they're up all night. Now this isn't the first time this has happened. Jesus had the same experience in Luke 5 and verse 4 with Peter. They were up all night. And then of course, uh, he, uh, he was obedient. That's the point we're talking about. He was obedient when Jesus said, Hey, cast out from the shore and cast thy net on the other side. And when he did, there was a great draft of fish, right? Almost sunk the boat. You know the story, right? And so his, his nets have been filled before, miraculously. And so in the text, that's what happens. Look at verse 5. It says, uh, verse 4, But when morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. So that's in essence like, You caught anything? Nope. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. Now, notice they did what he said. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea, which meant he had his undergarments on. That's how they fished. And so, um, and, and the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And you guys probably, many of you know the story. So what happens here is Peter's in a situation where um, Jesus didn't just show up and say, peace be unto you. He didn't say, hey, Peter, why are you leading these guys in commercial trade instead of the ministry that you've been called to? Jesus simply says, children, have you any meat? He then tells them to cast their net on the other side, and he, and he immediately fills the nets, just like he did in Luke 5. 4 through 7, and all this preceded this luncheon that Jesus had planned on the shore where he challenged Peter's obedience to be called, and his call, I'm sorry, as a shepherd, not a fisherman. This time Peter understood that to fulfill his call would require obedience unto death. And he had to be at peace with that. He had to be at peace with that call. And, uh, well, he didn't have to, but he chose to be. He, he, he learned enough to know this, that when Jesus calls you to it, He'll get you through it. And he watched Jesus obey unto death and, and was, was very sincere in his repentance and he was willing to follow in his master's steps. Now, let me just ask you, practically speaking, is, is Jesus wanting to have dinner with any of us? That's really, that's really important. It's not that you're not attending church. It's not that you're not right with the Lord. It's just like there's this thing in your life that you're not really willing to reckon with. He had denied the Lord three times. Jesus sits him down and says, hey, Peter, hey, that's all under the blood. I'm the Lamb of God. I took care of all that. I'm not talking about what's happened in the past. What I need you to do is be prepared for the future. Are you at peace? Do you have your mind fixed on me so that you can do what I'm calling you to do? Because, son, I need you to be a shepherd. You think fishing is hard? Wait until you lay your life down as a lamb. And he even gives him some insight. 
And he says, hey, Peter, you're going to go places you don't want to go. You're going to die in a way which you'd rather not. Are you all in? Peter says, after three asks, right, he says, yes, Lord. I love you like a good friend. I'll lay down my life. Okay, feed my, feed my sheep. That's good. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You know the story. If we want to see God produce fruit through the gospel, we have to die to self and obey God's word. If we want to see God produce fruit through the gospel, we have to die to self and obey God's word. Have you ever noticed how simple the gospel is? I mean, it's not like an intellectually difficult thing to preach. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. What do we really lack in oftentimes in our witness? It's power. Not because we're forceful with words, not because we're not persuasive with our intellect. It's a spiritual power that comes from us saying, you know what, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. I would say probably, I would even hazard to guess, even in this wonderful church, and I agree with Ron, this is one of the greatest churches in the world. I'm not even, you know, we had our 20th anniversary. It really occurred to me that we own a sliver of church history, like literally. It came up to like 1% or something. And I was like, wow, that blew me away. I sat in my office and just like, I went into prayer. On one hand going, wow, that's amazingly cool. On the other hand, I'm like, oh, Lord, don't let me leaven the lump. And us. We're responsible for this sliver of church history. 20 years is a sliver. It's a slit on a pie chart, man. You, Heartland has a sliver. It's amazing. So when people from around the world call us and say, hey, we're encouraged, or hey, send this, hey, send Bibles, send the gospel, guys, that's us. It isn't some story in a book that we're reading about from 2,000 years ago. It's today. And we need to be at peace with who God's called us to be and the mission that's bigger than us. And the sacrifice it takes to accomplish it. Why? Because we love him the way he loved us. Now, we can't obviously love him as much as he loves us, but we can sure, we can agree to try. We can agree to deal with our sin, and we can agree to sup with him and take on that call that he has for our life. But we won't do it if we're not willing to die to self and obey God's word. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper, as I mentioned, and hopefully we have dealt with all this other besetting sin that we deal with. Now let's deal with the reality of are we willing to go where God wants us to go? Are we willing to be the person God wants us to be? Is there any area of lingering disobedience that's limiting your spiritual faithfulness? And I'm not asking for answers. I don't even need to know, personally. Because if you're mature enough to answer that question, you're mature enough to deal with the Lord on it. And it does change for all of us all the time. I know in my life there have been moments at, at, at time. I remember when I was in high school, I can remember making decisions, and it, was, it opened the door to the next one, right? And sometimes they were things I needed to do. Some things were things I didn't need to do. In 96, I had a decision, a path to take. Which way was I going to go? 98, I had another opportunity. And all these opportunities, 2001, right, or whenever, 2000, 2001, same thing. That's how I got down here. There's times in your life where God is saying, this is what you need to do. This is your call. But you can always go this way if you want to. Will you be obedient? Will you be obedient? Are you at peace with God's call for your life? I suspect if God has called us to reach the world, then he's calling some of you to answer that call in a unique way. Maybe that's a call to be a missionary, a pastor. Maybe it's a ministry head. Maybe it's to work in the children's ministry. I'm not worried about the what. I'm just asking, are we willing to say yes, Lord? Yes, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to obey the call. I'm willing to take the gospel of peace wherever you tell me to go. If we don't have peace, we cannot deliver it to others. Beloved, we got to be at peace. Before Peter was ready to go out and reach the world, he had to be at peace with what God had called him to do. And that was to literally die as an ambassador for Christ. So Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. There is a peace with knowing that your enemies can't touch you, even if you die. One of the most impactful messages I ever heard, I was a young Christian, and a guy named David Ripley was preaching. He's an evangelist 
out of Adrian Rogers' church, and uh, he was working for Billy Graham Association. I don't know what's happened to him, but he may still be there. But at any rate, he was preaching this message, true story about his own testimony, and he was called, there was a, there was a in Bhopal, India, there was this great uh, chemical spill back in, the, back in the day, in the 90s, I think, or the 80s, and, um, and so he was called to go and, and preach. And, and his wife, though, had cancer. She's at the hospital. And it was kind of a touch-or-go situation. And so he was just torn, torn to shreds. And, uh, you know, he really felt God was calling him to go, preach the gospel. And then his wife was in the hospital. And so he was at the hospital with his wife, and his wife grabs his hand, and tears in her eyes. She tells a story and says, honey, I'm going to be fine even if I die. Go. And he said, the peace of God, a peace that passes understanding. This is his testimony, not mine. Came over him, and he went. He says, as he was leaving the hospital, friends grabbed him and said, you can't do this, brother. You can't go. This isn't God. He's like, listen, if you want to go with me, that's great. But if you don't, get out of my way because I'm going. And, of course, praise the Lord, that had a happy ending. His wife lived, and they had a revival in India. So praise the Lord. That was a great story. They obeyed the Lord. It could have went a different way. But the point is simply this. That testimony just impacted my life as I sat there, and God was challenging me. So I was like, man, Lord, would I be willing to do that? Would I be willing to do like Peter? You know, you can't worry about things that you don't know anything about, but be, just, just take on the things you do know that God's telling you to do. Right? Peter didn't, didn't, the first day he met Jesus, Jesus didn't sit down and say, hey, now Peter, someday you're going to go somewhere you don't want to go and you're going to die in a way you don't want to die. He just, the first time he met Peter, you know what he says? Follow me. Follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. I promise you today, there are people in this room right now, God is saying, follow me. And what that means is you need to, you need to take advantage of what that means in the context of this local church. Some of you need to follow Jesus in the sense of being born again. You haven't actually trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You just, you just need to follow him so you escape hell. You need to make terms of peace with him. And others of you, you know, it means something else. It means you may need to sacrifice something in your life. Give up something for whatever else God is wanting to replace it with. And I don't know what that means to you, but God does. Maybe it's something you know God is calling you to do or be a part of. Maybe you need to arrange your life differently so you can be a part of HBI. Maybe you need to do something uh, to prepare your life to answer a call in, in, a, in a ministry a, uh, aspect, whatever it may be. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a big life decision. Uh, you got to go this way or that way. But God is, is wanting us to be at peace with his terms. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's interesting how God is calling us, but yet our entrance into eternal life comes through a call. A calling out to Christ to say, Christ, save me. Help! Save my soul. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? Does it stir you up that people need to be saved? That people are dying and going to hell? If it stirs your soul, then prepare yourself to be somebody that can send the message. God needs people. Before he went to the cross, he prepared 12 faithful men so they could carry the gospel of peace. They could deliver the gospel of peace. God needs disciples to deliver the gospel of peace. He even says it in Romans 10. How are they going to get there if nobody carries it? What's going to cause me to call an end to the church age and just call kaputs? We're waiting for that last Christian, that last Gentile to get saved. Well, how, bad, how, how concerned are we about that last Gentile that needs to get saved? How eager are we to get to heaven? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Who sends them? The Billy Graham Association? No. Who sends them? Jesus? Yes. But who else? The local New Testament church. This is the body of Christ. This is what Jesus uses to equip the saints of God in the word of God to accomplish the mission of God. And you've got to be at peace about that. You've got to understand this is what God has left on the planet to represent him as frail as she is, as weak as she is, as small as she is. 
But guess what? It is through the weak things that God confounds the wise. It is through the things that are not that God brings things to pass that are. It is through the words of God that things get accomplished that are supernatural. As you get into Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, he says, And, and, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. Beloved, we need some beautiful feet. Every person that's born again, I'm talking to the church family here. Not, I'm not, if you're not a member, if you're not saved, that's, that's great. I'm glad you're here, but I'm having family time. If you're a member of this body, it doesn't. if you just got saved last week and baptized, which you didn't, by the way, maybe God's calling someone to get baptized. Next week's our baptism week. We need so, we, you need to follow the Lord there. But the reality is that everybody in this building needs to be ready if you're born again and baptized to share the gospel of peace. That's the basics. I mean, who have you tried to share the gospel of peace with this week? That's something we should be about every day of the week. Or we're not good disciples. And we're not doing what God called us to do. Of course, you know Ephesians 6.15, I already mentioned that. Our, our, we're, our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Why? Because even though we're bringing the peace, we're in a war. This year, we'll, we'll be rolling Igo out into groups. And uh, i got to finish up here. But let me just run through a few things here. And uh, I'll pick up the rest next week. But let me give you a few things to chew on. Um, if you've already been exposed to it through the teaching on Wednesday night, that's great. But I know many have missed that. So when we come to the, the vision conference, we're going to teach more about being intentional about our gospel outreach and what that means to all of us in the church. All of us need to be intentional about, de- intentional about delivering the gospel of peace, not only this year, but every day until Jesus revokes our opportunity at the catching away of the church. At our vision conference in April, you need to plan. This is something you can do right now. Get out your calendars and plan to be here in the daytime if you can. I understand people have to work. But if, if you can get time to be here in the mornings on Monday and Tuesday during the vision conference, the first full week of April, I think it's the 7th and 8th are the days. Or no, it would probably be the 4th and the 5th, something like that. Um, that first full week, you need to be here. Because we're going to have sessions. Yeah, pastors will be here, guests will be here. But that's not for everybody else. These sessions will be for us to talk about how we can be intentional about getting the gospel where it needs to go, how we can own the mission. And do exactly what we're talking about uh, this morning. And what we need to do all together at our vision conference in April, you need to, you, if you can, I understand not everybody can do that. We'll, we'll have it where you can watch it later. But let's try it. It'd be cool if you could be here. Have some breakfast if you can. Stick around for the sessions. And then, hey, if you've got to bust it to work, if you could get the morning off, that'd be great. And next week, I'll finish the next point because I'm out of time. But there's some other things we need to be doing in regard to developing uh, the fruit. And, and they are spiritual things. There's some spiritual work that we need to do. And so I'll just wrap that up next week. But uh, I hope this morning that you're encouraged and that you're planning ahead. That you're, Are you seeing the vision? Perfect peace, man. You've got to have it. Because you're the only people in the world and all the other Bible-believing local New Testament churches and Bible-believing Christians that have it. Um, we're not the only people in the world, so I don't want to make it sound like that. But as far as this church is concerned and our spheres of influence, man, you are the difference between life and death and, and love, joy, and peace, the fruit of the Spirit, and the deceptive, sinful nature of this world. And beloved, each and every one of us has to own that. Are you willing to own that this morning? Let's stand together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to consider...